0: Westwood One presents The Pollsters.
1: The Pollsters.
0: And now, Margie and Kristen.
1: Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic Pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen
0: Soltis-Anderson, Republican Pollster with Echelon Insights. And
1: each week, we bring you the polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we had a bit of a break in polling over the holidays, even though we were here for most of the holidays. There wasn't a lot of polling because people don't want to poll. Over the holidays, not just because the pollsters aren't around, not us, the pollsters, but other pollsters, not because they want to take a vacation, although presumably they do, but because respondents aren't around. But all that's over. There's just a (laughs) complete glut of polling to talk about today. And
0: it means that the president-elect is back to beating up on pollsters. So yeah, we we now return to our regularly scheduled programming.
1: So some things are changing and some things are changing not that much. And that brings us to this week's top lines. Turn and face the strange. Ch- ch- wanna be a richer man. To ch- ch- ch-
0: change. Turn and face the strange. Changes are coming to Washington. Obama is exiting stage left, but how will he be remembered? We'll take a look at polling on how people are already beginning to interpret Obama's likely legacy. Then if Obama is leaving, Trump is coming to town, but there's no honeymoon for Trump, it seems. Is 40 percent job approval the new 50 percent job approval? What are voters the most excited and worried about? Is all change good change? We'll take a look at where voters stand on issues like Russia and Obamacare. And plus, who do we think will be the last man standing in potential showdowns with Congress Republicans. Last but not least, some of you may be traveling to the inauguration. Some of you may be traveling to get away from the inauguration. Uh, We'll be traveling to the march or traveling to the march. We'll be talking a little bit about travel beefs, a topic that we have discussed on the show before, but that really bears bringing back up with some fresh data. Evergreen
1: tweets. Oh, Yes. yes.
0: But first, This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites but now you can with ziprecruiter.com you can post your job to 200 plus job sites including social media networks like facebook and twitter all with a single click find candidates in any city or industry nationwide just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ziprecruiter's easy to use interface no juggling emails or calls to your office quickly screen candidates rate them and hire the right person fast find out today why ziprecruiter has been used by fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium sized businesses and right now our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free if you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. You can try it for free as free trial would suggest. So again, (laughs) that is ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial.
1: Cool. Well, we have a pretty interesting poll of the week. This made a lot of buzz. really cool one. The folks at Perry... I don't know if it's Perry Undum or Perry Undum, but they are, um, we have a lot of pals in common with those folks, and they've done some really interesting polling on policy for foundations. They've done some polling for Vox, and now there was this poll that they've, um, I think worked with, uh, NORC on, uh, and it was in the Times, this story in the Times, and it, it bounced around quite quickly once we posted it. There's so much in there. So the main headline that people got a viral, you know, on the left, ladies got a real yuck about is Republican men say it's a better time to be a woman than a man. I don't know. I mean, if I guess everybody thinks it's a better time to be somebody else. The than, grass is always greener. Yeah. Overall, only about 37% of respondents said it was a good time to be a woman. Fewer thought it was a good time to be a minority woman. A quarter said so it was a good time to be a Latina. 11% said it was a good time to be a Muslim woman. But over half of Republican men say it was a good time to be a woman. Only 41% thought it was a good time to be a man. This
0: reminds me, there's a Simpsons quote. I'm back to the Simpsons again after my my like love letter to Lisa Simpson That's all right. Weeks all right. Ago. I think
1: we could express all public opinion through New Yorker cartoons and the Simpsons quotes. <laughs> there's,
0: there is uh, a quote. My husband uses this quote a lot, and so I'm going to butcher it because it's like a game of telephone. I'm hearing it from him, but it's something like – I'm a white male aged eighteen to thirty-four. All my ideas are great, and everyone listens to what I have to say. Like, that's what this reminds me of. He makes that joke a lot. I'm a white male aged eighteen to thirty-four. Everything I say
1: is genius. That's right. That's exactly right. We, um, we, we go on the left and call that privilege. That's you know. I know it's that that word strikes some as nails on a chalkboard, but that's what that is. And um, you see, you know, it's definitely an interesting. Whole results because they asked women, how often do you feel unsafe personally? How often do you feel judged as a sexual object, which is a pretty direct phrase How often do you hear sexist language? How often do you feel you're treated with less respect because you're a woman? And for all these women are far more likely to say, yep, this has happened to me frequently or once in a while. Men asked about the women in their lives. And you have fewer men say that that's happened to the women in their lives. They're not, you know, they're not talking about their perception of it. They're asking about very directly about the women in their lives. So that's, I I think, a good way to actually to make sure you're talking about someone that you personally know as opposed to kind of society at large. And that makes the women's version of those questions very comparable to the men's version.
0: One thing that strikes me about this is it's asking about, you know, is it a good time to be a Latina? Is it a good time to be uh, a minority woman? Um, you know, there are, and I, I think this is interesting because good time compared to what? Are you saying good time just objectively? You know, right. Is it a good or a bad time? Or was there some better time to be a minority woman? Was there right. some better time to be a Muslim woman? Um, That we are comparing it to. So that's kind of an interesting framing Mm. of the question. Um, And then you also have these questions about things uh, like uh, abortion policy, birth control. This is the column I wrote in the examiner today was sort of urging folks in the pro-life community to get excited about the decline in the abortion rate because by giving more women access to contraception. If abortion is less necessary, that should be a win. And like, I don't think that some pro life leaders are taking this as a win,
1: that right? But they I only mean, celebrate like restrictions. And so this do they, whole, are they like, thank goodness we have all these trap laws around the country because that's what's causing well, the, the abortion rate so the, abortion so the NPR a did current. a whole
0: story about this new stat that said that like the abortion rate in America is the lowest it's been since 1973. And the Guttmacher Institute, who did the study, said it's actually mostly because women have more access to what's called LARCs, long acting reversible right. contraception. That um, some of it is that in some is
1: people. Well, that's IUDs and Norplant. Yes, for those who uh,
0: yes. Any know what any kind of contraception that you don't have to like remember every day, right? And that, should you decide you want to have children, you can change your mind, and it right. pretty quickly flips back to you being able to have kids. Um, so, th- all, all of which is to say, in the article, they interviewed like a leader from a pro life organization who was like, "No, no, no. We as a movement are going to take credit for this because we've pushed all of these new laws." And my whole column is like. Guys, take the win. If if abortion is declining because there's less demand, like you shouldn't goal? isn't that the goal, like you should count that as a win. And so anyhow, I, I'm also I'm on the board of uh, an organization that's very big on like promoting, um, making sure women have access to contraception if they need it. Um and here this is pretty interesting. They ask about policies. Well, first of all, they ask about policies concerning reproductive rights, and they find forty-three percent of Republicans and 82% of Democrats said they supported work toward protecting a woman's right to abortion. Um but 40 percent of Republicans and 80 percent of Democrats opposed getting rid of the part of Obamacare that offers birth control without a copay. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a big partisan gap there. But that is still 40 percent of Republicans yeah. who say, uh, why, why don't we not take that away? So, Yeah,
1: I mean, and there's more stuff in here, too. Eighty-nine percent of respondents, I'm assuming pretty large numbers of Republicans. Yes. Here it says 86 and some other ones. Equal pay laws, child care, supported paid That's the Ivanka agenda. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's lots of ways you can get there. But still, as a topic, I mean, that's a heck of a lot of percent. Um, This is widespread support. And, you know, it, it, it may match what Ivanka says she cares about, although obviously folks on the left had a lot of objections to the, you know, the mechanics of it. But as a priority, it may be a priority for Ivanka. We'll see if it's a priority for Republicans in Congress. I don't know. It's, you know, it's just very interesting how – much support there is even among Republicans for some of these things that are very much you know part of the feminist agenda, not really what Donald Trump has seen as you know his his jam really, certainly not the jam of all the folks who are you know Republicans in the house, so it's one of many areas of disconnect between what voters want, what differences there are between the parties, what Trump says his priorities are that we're going to talk about in today's show. There's lots of other places. But is there anything else you, you want to talk about? Well, this? Yeah, so
0: this last piece of the puzzle is what are the reasons why they ask people in what ways have you personally ex- felt unequal in American society ever? Has it been – was it your gender, your religion, your sexual orientation? Like what are the things that have ever made you feel um unequal
1: or at a disadvantage. And this is ever, right? This is ever. This this is Um, not even like in the last month or something. So for
0: democratic women, it's gender, much more so than race emerges as the thing that people say, this is something that makes me feel unequal. Um, But for democratic men, I guess it's not surprising that they would not find their gender to be uh, a factor that has set them back. But they're they're more likely, even than women, uh, democratic women, to say that their race is the thing that's made them feel
1: Right. Unequal. Well, probably both groups are diverse, but Democratic women are women, so they also have
0: they have genders. other things. Yes. Um, for Republican women, twenty-six percent say they feel that their gender has made them unequal. Twenty-four percent say their religious views have mm-hmm. made them unequal. That's it's that's almost tied there with gender. Right.
1: But it's you know nineteen and twenty percent respectively among Democrat women and men. So it's not you know zero among Democrats right. either. Um, interestingly, and,
0: and and for Republican men. The number one thing that they say makes them feel unequal is race. I would be interested in knowing: Is this African American and Asian American and Latino Republican men, or is I'm this white no. Republican men who think it's a tough time to be a white guy in America? I'm today? guessing that. I'm, I would love to see those crosstabs.
1: I'm guessing. I'm guessing that. But anyway, this is such an in- super interesting study. Kudos, folks at Periundum. We, as always, folks, we link to the uh, to these things in our show notes, so you can go click on it if you don't want to go search it. New York Times, you can you can figure it out there. Um, so in, now we're on to the big news of what's going on this week, which is. You know, the change, changing of the guard and what that means for Obama, what the polling shows about Obama's legacy, what that means for the incoming uh, president elect. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but there's still more polling on it this week um, about how Obama's numbers are really strong. They've really rebounded. I mean, they were strong over the course of the election, but now they've really you know, he's got 55 percent approval ratings. Um that's the highest it's been basically since he came you know his honeymoon when he came in and took office um he uh he is you know a, a, just about I mean, he has, you know, reasonably strong ratings in terms of how people assume his presidency will go down. This is from Gallup. You have almost half say history will find him outstanding or above average. That puts him a little bit above Bill Clinton. It puts him below Eisenhower and Reagan and Kennedy only for that number, but he's got a higher below average poor than some of these other than more of these presidents. So he's got a kind of polarizing figure there. So he's got about a little over a third say he'll go down as a below average or poor um, president um, and that gives him a higher number than basically everybody except George W. Bush and Nixon. So higher numbers for excellence than most, also higher numbers for below average and poor than most, which is you know, I guess to be expected given the, given the climate. Um, I, I think what's interesting is looking at how people, view, so clearly people feel good about Obama, right? I mean, they feel better about Obama than they have. They feel better about Obama than most other presidents, not all. But at the same time, people feel that they want to see Trump take lots of different issues in a di- mm-hmm. totally different direction. At the same time as that, they also feel like their own personal situations have rebounded somewhat. So all of those things are very much. At odds with each other. Um, It's just a confusing, you know, inconsistent, but, you know, still the reality of where the public is. They don't dislike
0: Obama, but they want to try something new. But whatever's new, they don't want it to make things worse for them personally, which makes sense because they think things are going okay for them personally. But we also know that assessment of how are you doing personally. Is not even across groups. Is not you know. Yeah, there are wild variations in who thinks things are going well and not going well. Um, yeah, so personal satisfaction by party. Uh, Republicans for during the Bush administration had felt like things were going pretty well. Um, it was around the time of of Obama's uh, re election that suddenly Democrats uh, are feeling a little more personally satisfied uh, than Republicans. Um, It appears it's hard for me to sort of tell from this chart, but, you know, those numbers have kind of the gap has closed uh, and you now have uh, what looks like 63 percent of Democrats, 55 percent of Republicans saying that they are personally satisfied with things. I would expect that when they ask this a year from now, Republicans will be feeling pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. If this does, although it's interesting, when Obama was first elected. Wait a minute. Now I'm really wondering about this. I think
1: the darker line is the Democrats and the just But that looks like the dark. Democrats
0: then are at their worst. Oh, I guess that's the beginning of the 2008, recession. though. That's yes. the recession. OK. That's where that – I'm like, why in 2008 would Democrats be sad? Obama got elected, but he got elected at the end of 2008. Yes. When it? this poll was taken, it was probably right in the – because, yeah, it looks like it's conducted in – Jan. Uh, oh, no, it says conducted in December. Well, now I'm not sure. This chart's not helping me. Whether or not it's early or late 2008, I think, would have a huge impact on whether Democrats or
1: Republicans are personally feeling okay. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm surprised this is not more volatile and that personal satisfaction. I guess they don't have – I mean, for the two – yeah, this doesn't measure like the full – which we talked about a little bit last week, the like full Democratic panic and freak out going on. But I guess it's not affecting your daily life quite yet. But it will.
0: I feel like it's affecting your daily life. Margie. It is affecting my. Daily. <laughs>
1: it's affecting my daily like, life. Are you, are you okay, Margie? Is everything no, okay? I'm having some. I'm having some challenges. It's making me physically and mentally a little unsteady. <laughs> but I don't know how I respond to these. Uh, how I respond to these polls, but that's all right. I'll be. I'll be out in full force on Saturday with my sign. Um, so, yeah, and then this Huffington Post YouGov poll, they try to break it down more specifically. And here, and this is what we've seen before. Like, if you say Obama's policies, you know, does that change things? And you just say, like, do we just want to do something new in a different direction? So here we're talking about Obama's policies. We're going to talk a little bit about what it means for Trump and what people want Trump to do later. But on every single one of these measures, whether it's in general, on the economy, on foreign policy, on the environment, immigration, health care, social issues, every single one, uh, voters say they want uh, Trump to take things in a new direction.
0: The way things that work in Washington is the biggest gap. Uh, 56% say they want to take things in a new direction on the way things work in Washington, Where only 24% want to continue Obama's approach. Um, other big issues where people want a lot of new direction, um, gun policies, 54% say they want new direction. 54% say on healthcare they want a new direction. 55% say on immigration they want Trump to take things in a new direction. Uh, For things like the environment, that's actually where the gap is the smallest. 37 percent say continue Obama's environmental policies while 44 percent say take things in a new direction. And I think later in the show here in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about a poll about whether people want us to pull out of the Paris climate deal. There's polling that suggests people do not want to leave some of these international deals to the wayside. So even though people say, yes, I want change. They also don't want to just throw out continuity with change. Continuity with change. Contradictions within contradictions within contradictions.
1: So, well, this would all sound like pretty good news for the incoming president-elect. Seems like
0: everybody wants change. Yeah, they want to take everything
1: in a a new direction. So, you know, so what's the the issue? Well, the issue is basically every single poll we've seen in the last week has shown Trump with historically low – approval ratings and favorability ratings and every other kind of measure like how you're feeling about you know how he's handling the transition do you you know feel like you have a good sense of what his plans are? However else it the question is asked whatever kind of metrics people are using, um all the polls point to the same thing, which is Trump starts off with a lot you know with a lot of uh struggle with a lot of Bad and with a lot of animosity and bad vibes from a lot of voters and compared to looking at the same exact question comparing, you know, past presidents going back to Reagan or some places even to Carter. And this is not just any one poll. This is literally every single poll that we've seen. So Monmouth, um, Gallup, Pew, CNN, NBC, Wall Street Journal, CBS, ABC, Washington Post. I don't think I'm missing any. They all show the same thing. Now, of course, this did not get unnoticed from Donald Trump.
0: Nope. Yesterday morning, I was violating my (laughs) don't read Twitter in bed before you get up for the day rule. Yes. Uh, And Donald Trump had picked a Twitter war with pollsters. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Where uh, this was in response to the the new polls showing, again, that Donald Trump was not getting a honeymoon, was not headed into his inauguration, in great position, was – Basically making the case the polls were wrong in the election, so why should we believe them now? And again, he's probably got a lot of people that are like, yeah, that makes sense. Polls got the election wrong. Why should we believe this? But I think the difference is that in election polling, if you are off by three points within the margin of error, you you can miss – the election result, right? right? And that's a little bit of what was happening here, where polls, even within the margin of error, they'd be off by a few points. And suddenly that means Trump wins Pennsylvania instead of Clinton. And everybody goes, oh, my God, the polls were terrible. On approval ratings, if you really think that the difference in the political environment is enormous, if Trump's approval rating is 40 versus 43 percent, I would
1: love to hear what you think that difference is. Yeah, But it's not it's – hey, Guess what? He's still – The least popular, even if you give it six points, right? Even if you say – and okay, the national polls, by the way, in the election were right on, so there was state-level polling. But forget all that, right? Let's not even quibble with the facts, you know, these so-called facts. Let's just say you're right, Trump. The polls are off by around six points. You're still the least popular yeah. incoming president.
0: This is the the wonder of polling that is not just about the ballot test, is that we sort of get that when we say these numbers, Trump's approval rating is 40%. We know that if we actually went out and read the minds of every person in America, it might not be that exactly 40% approve or disapprove of him. Um, but we get that this is inherently, there is uncertainty baked into this. There is the margin of error, et cetera, et cetera. But these numbers are not great. And here's why approval ratings matter. Did, have you ever watched The American President?
1: Yes. OK. So this is
0: my, this is my oh, does the world work like an Aaron Sorkin movie fallacy that's probably driving me here. But these numbers matter because right now Donald Trump and Congress don't agree on everything. There is this tax reform deal that's going on right now where congressional Republicans want to lower the corporate tax rate but add a border adjustment. Um, Donald Trump doesn't like a border adjustment. He wants a tariff instead. And it's it's like – it's stuff right. that are listening. There's, there's Obamacare. About, there's Obamacare. Yeah. Which he she
1: changed, how, you know, his views on that over the last – Everybody's
0: going to have insurance. Wait, I'm, I didn't mean that. And I think he told a, a Fox anchor that, like, the insurance companies are going to pay for it, which I'm sure is news to them. Like, OK, sure. So there are all of these things where – the ethics, the ethics board. That was another one. They did. Anyway. But Paul you Ryan and crew idea. and Donald Trump. They may be s- singing kind of in harmony now, but – that that could fall apart. And if Donald Trump's approval rating is fifty-five percent, members of Congress are gonna approach things very differently than if Donald Trump's approval rating is thirty-five percent. Because in the American president, as we all know, the best example of, you know, American politics at work, President Shepard, when he starts dating Annette Benning's character, Sidney Ellen Wade, America does not like that he is dating someone and his approval ratings fall through the floor, and then he can't whip the votes for his crime bill without having to sacrifice her environmental bill. Yes. Sorry, spoiler alert. If you've never seen the movie, I've just ruined it for you. But because of his falling approval ratings, he's losing members of Congress and the ability to get his agenda through. And so the question is if Donald Trump's approval rating is at 40%, do we sort of start treating that as the new 50%? Like do members of Congress like, oh, 40% is not bad. 40% is where George W. Bush was after Katrina. When George W. Bush was at 40 percent approval rating, he could not get the Republican Congress to do what he wanted. He could not get them to pass uh, his immigration reform plans and things like that. Like with an approval rating of 40 percent, George W. Bush could not get a Congress of his own party to go along with his agenda. Donald Trump comes in at that number. That's his honeymoon number. But do people just go like, oh, well, 40 percent's not bad. Like is that is 40 the new 50 and you've got a lot of members too where Donald Trump's approval rating may be 40 nationwide
1: but it's 80 in their district right or Donald Trump's more popular than they are well, and then what do they do and you're already seeing republican senators you know taking on his uh his nominees you know so we'll see how that all unfolds and so where where are these dismal numbers coming from so there's a couple different areas to explore the first is you know it's about the um you know, the tra- well, first of all, his numbers on the transition sort of broadly, right, are bad, right? And part of that is because he's spending a lot of time on things that are not presidential or what one would consider presidential in, in quote unquote normal times. Um, so, for example, you have the tax returns or his conflict of interest piece. He, you know, had that press conference where. You know, it was mocked on Saturday Night Live, which I thought was pretty funny about all the papers. But, you know, his, you know, he's made a variety of small ball attempts to make it seem like he's doing something on the conflict of interest and continues to not release his tax returns. And so some polling on that is mixed. I mean, this is maybe one of the places where. You know, in the conflict of interest, he's not really taking on that much of a hit. However, there is clear consensus that he should release his tax returns. Even Republicans think that he should release his tax returns. I'm not sure that the conflict of interest questions fully Get at all the nuance, but I think that's okay because people are not going to get all the nuance. A conflict of interest piece is very complicated. Why it matters, all the different things that could happen with a, with these various kinds of conflict of interest, what that means for people on a day to day basis, it is pretty complicated. But I'm not sure some of these questions really can ex- you know explore that. They they get sort of your gut think gut. You know, doesn't matter. Is it enough? Yeah, sure, it's enough. He's complying. You know, it sounds like he's complying. But there's partisan, you know, breakouts there where Republicans think, yeah, it's fine. And Democrats say, no, I'm not so sure about that. The tax returns, you do see, you know, even pretty sizable numbers of Republicans say he should, you know, he has a responsibility to release his tax returns. I mean, it's not overwhelming, but it's still they feel, yes, he should release his tax returns. I
0: wonder how much, though, this is actually – is this an anchor pulling down his numbers? Is this the sort of thing that people say this – this. I mean it's easy to say in a poll. It's very important to me that Donald Trump releases yes. tax returns. But, but then ultimately when you're answering yes or no to the are you favorable or unfavorable question, it's not really weighing on your mind. I'm still – I have still not seen – there have been polls on top of polls on top of polls that have said – Eighty-some percent of people want yeah. him to release his tax returns. Sixty um, percent say he has a major he has a responsibility to do so. Um, I'm not 100 percent convinced that this is the reason why his numbers
1: are the way they are. Right. I mean I, I don't know if the f- if there's a f- been a full airing of what that actually would – mean. you know, why that matters, what's in there. I mean I know – actually I thought Hillary Clinton did a good job talking about the debate. But in terms of like our day-to-day conversation about – what that means, tied to the conflict of interest, tied to stiffing, you know, stiffing vendors. I mean, I think, I mean, obviously that's been discussed, but making that as, you know, as part of our day-to-day Trump conversation as the Russia piece, which maybe is what's holding down his numbers or, you know, his sort of angry bullying, which we don't have exact, we have an impulsive question here, but we don't have the sort of the bullying issue here. But all right. So if you don't think it's the tax returns, maybe it's all this you know, Russia love notes that he likes to, you know, send out. I mean, he refuses to say anything critical about Russia, about Putin in a way that's like mind boggling. Um, and you have, you know, voters say, you know, they, they feel, I think. It looks like from these polls, particularly Washington Post poll, they feel that it's quite likely that Russian, Russia was involved. Now, do they feel that that actually made a difference in the election? That's where it gets a little bit more different in terms of the, you know, in terms of party differences. Do they feel that he's going to be too easy in Russia or feel, you know, he's going to... You know what's the implication of that? You have about half of voters say that he's going to be too easy on Russia. You know worries about Russia's power and influence are higher now than maybe we would have seen in years past, according to Pew. I mean, there's lots of different ways to talk about this Russia piece. It's not just do you believe that Russia was involved in our in meddling with our elections? That's one piece, but there's all these other pieces of well what else what else does this mean? You know does it mean that the election you know that they actually changed the outcome. Does it mean that you know Trump was behaving differently? Does it mean that we're all at risk? I, you know, it, it, this is going to be fast moving. I mean, what do you think when you look at these numbers?
0: Yeah, it, when I look at the the Russian numbers, I'm actually, I, maybe I'm surprised that more people don't buy. Like, sure, Russia hacked the against. Like that that you that you actually only have sixty four percent who who believe that, that there's like enough of a seed of doubt that's been planted with a third of the electorate that they're like, yeah, I don't know if it's Russia. Um, And so it seems as though the Russia piece is part of why some people are like, I don't know if I love what Trump is doing on that. And it's so strange because the Russia stuff is at odds with even some of his cabinet appointments. I mean, there was daylight between the nice how Trump is like, ah, Putin and Merkel, they're on the same footing with me, which is
1: That's, no, I mean, it makes no not. sense. Like, I mean, the, <laughs> you know, the mo- like um, the basically like one of the most incomprehensible things that, you know, Trump has done is his consistency with how he's embraced Russia. I mean, that's like – that just – the, you know, there's no that makes no sense. Like it makes no sense to anybody like anybody you talk to, you know, outside of Trump and his closest confidants, it, you know, has a real hard time understanding it. But when Pew asks, what do you
0: view as the top threats? I mean, yeah, Russia power, Russia's power and influence is viewed as a major threat by a majority of people. And so to the extent that the president is sounding pretty cozy with them, that's that's not a, a great look. Um, cyber attacks from other countries, though, even higher up on the list at 71 percent, saying it is a major threat, which puts it second. second. Second only to ISIS.
1: Now, if you look at the party breakouts, though, from Pew, you see a pretty big party break in views toward the threat of Russia. No real party break, very small party break in views on cyber cyber attacks from other countries. There you see the parties agree in terms of how big of a threat it is. Um, You have two-thirds of Democrats say Russia's power and influence is a major threat, only 41 percent of Republicans. So, you know, this is a scramble of how the parties view Russia. That's just happened before our very eyes in Mm -hmm. in a way that's really incredible. And
0: I'll be interested next week. Certainly there are pollsters that are going to be out there asking about President Obama's decision to commute the sentence of Chelsea Manning, who – Um, while a soldier in Iraq uh, leaked large volumes of information about America's operations in the war on terror and in Iraq to WikiLeaks, which at the time was heavily condemned by folks on the right. And so now you're in this weird world where, again, we talked on a few weeks ago, if you ask, do you have a positive or negative view of WikiLeaks? Republicans tend to have the more positive view of WikiLeaks than Democrats. But in this story, it's been all my Republican buddies who are condemning the decision to commute the sentence and release Chelsea Manning early. Um, so the sh- the numbers now flip back the other way yeah. on
1: WikiLeaks. I don't know. So I'm assuming there will be polling next week on, on that. The leaker of my enemy is my friend, I guess. Um, so then maybe – so if it's not Russia and if it's not um, – just you know, transition blues or t- taxes is maybe Obamacare is part of what is causing Trump to have such low numbers. And this is you know one of the it's like a it's like a case study or like a, a writ small version of what we were talking about of the inconsistencies of views toward Obama's legacy and what they want Trump to do similarly or differently. Um, you know, Obamacare has always been. Pretty divided views toward Obamacare. They've, oh, you know, they move around a little bit, but it's basically fully divided. You've seen a bounce for the first time in the NBC Wall Street Journal poll of, you know, more folks saying that the healthcare law has been a good idea as opposed to a bad idea. That's new. That's brand new. Hasn't um, been that
0: way since 2011.
1: Yeah. So that's brand new. Um, you know, two thirds say if you're going to repeal it. Do it at the same time as the re- as there's a replacement. We talked about that. We should that. have
0: picked You Don't Know What You Got Till It's Gone Oh yeah, as our song for this episode.
1: Well, I'm sure we'll have another opportunity. You paved
0: paradise
1: I, and put on. up the
0: Republican
1: Robotic repeal bill. Oh, my gosh. I know. We'll have plenty of opportunity to talk about that, I think. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you have Republicans who say that this is a top priority, but not necessarily overall. Um you know, the it it just really depends on how this is asked, and then I think there was another question: Do you trust that? Re- are you confident that Republicans will be able to replace it with something that you like? And you know, of course, most people said no. I'm not confident, and there isn't a lot of confidence. But Donald in- Trump
0: says it's going to be the greatest. It's going to be like Obamacare, but like better, without the bad stuff, and with all this new good stuff. Right. I saw um, some ads from the Heritage Foundation that I thought were fascinating. Uh, that were basically it's it's your sort of garden variety um, Republicans and conservatives kind of eating their own type advertising. They're not they're these republic you know it's like the black and white pictures of like Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, like Republican leaders are getting ready to betray you. They're not going to repeal Obamacare right away. They say they want to wait until they have a replacement in place. But every day they delay just means there's a higher chance that they'll
1: betray you. Like
0: that kind of ad, and I'm like. Oh boy, here we go! <laughs> this is gonna be a ride. What happens when it's Donald Trump?
1: By the way, those Republicans wanting to like, delay the like f- there's a picking eighteen million, million people off Like Heritage
0: has had a huge role in the Trump transition, helping to fill these agencies and these landing teams. Like Trump and Heritage are simpatico. But what happens when it's Donald Trump? Who's like. We need to repeal this law, but we need to repeal it when we can replace it, and we're going to replace it with something great. And so, but we need to do these two things at the same time, which is sort of what Trump has been signaling. That is very at odds with the like Mitch McConnell's about to betray you like ads that I saw. I'm like. Oh. this is going to be fun. Well,
1: I mean, too, but you know, the other thing is like, he's looking for what people want. He's not, you know, a conservative purist, right? So for some of these things where Republican purists say we should repeal and just, you know, charge ahead. That's if it's not popular, then it's not going to be his thing. So, um, you know, Medicare is another one just to kind of sidebar for a second. This was from Politico along with the Harvard Chan School of Public Health. They had a big survey out this past week. Um, this was one of the areas where there wasn't that big of a difference, actually, between the over- voters overall and Trump voters, where a majority of the general public and 44% Trump voters say don't change Medicare. So that's a little bit different than what some Republicans say that they may want to do. There's no, you know, full-on man- mandate to change that. Um, so is it maybe issues more broadly that people feel that they don't agree with Trump or his priorities on? I mean, the Pew poll show that a majority disapprove of how Trump has done explaining his plans for the future to the American people. But then if you look at what kind of job do you think do you expect Trump to do on a variety of issues? I mean, some of these things, this is from the Washington Post poll, like half of the stuff on this list, over half say they think he's going to do an excellent or good job on. The economy creating jobs and dealing with terrorism for always his sweet spot yes.
0: in the campaign. Yeah. So that hasn't changed. Those those are the top three things that people think he's going to do a good job on. Those are the top three things people thought he'd do a good job on during the campaign season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other quick thing to add on this Obamacare question. So there was a poll that was conducted by um, Politico and Harvard's, the, the Chan School of Public Health. Right. Um, and they find that when you ask people what should be uh, the uh, issue. Extre- how are these issue priorities play out um, over the first hundred days? What do you want Trump to tackle? So, uh, the top thing that people want him to tackle is infrastructure spending. Forty-nine percent of people say they want infrastructure spending to be part of the first hundred days. That is the general public and Trump voters almost no difference on that question. The biggest gap is on repealing and replacing Obamacare, where 85 percent of Trump voters believe that's super important. Um, So the overall number is 44 percent, which makes it like the second highest priority overall. But you've got to imagine if the Trump numbers, Trump voter numbers have pushed it so far the one way that everybody else is on the other side. Yeah. So it kind of masks. Yes, it looks like both repealing and replacing Obamacare and infrastructure spending are the two highest priorities. But- The underlying numbers of who falls where are uh, dramatically different.
1: Yeah, and the Post found the same thing in their poll too. So this was whether it was building a wall, cutting taxes on uh, higher income folks. Uh, This is a withdrawing from the Paris Climate Accord or pulling out of the Iran deal, Uh, the Muslim ban, all of these things. These are things that the American public feels completely at odds with what Trump has said he would do. So these are some challenges. If you want to muscle through things that are unpopular, one, you can't muscle through all of them, so you're going to have to pick. And two, you're the le- least popular pres- incoming president ever. But is he more popular than congressional Republicans? So this gets to
0: the last poll that we've we've got on here that I think is just, <sighs> as, as admittedly kind of a Paul Ryan fangirl, this is the stuff that keeps me up at night, is the... Um, when they ask voter Trump, they ask people um, if Donald Trump and blank insert entity here uh, disagreed about a political issue. Who do you think you would be more likely to support? And it, this is among this is not among like Trump cheerleaders, but it is among people who said that they voted for Trump. So if it was Trump versus Democrats in Congress, no surprise. Eighty four percent say, uh, yes, I would believe Trump. Zero percent say I would believe Democrats in Congress, 15 percent say they're that's not fine. sure. OK, that's fine. But the more interesting. So Paul Ryan, if it's a Donald Trump versus Paul Ryan showdown among those who voted for Trump, 57 percent pick Trump, 8 percent pick Paul Ryan, 35 percent say they're not sure. Hmm. Republicans in Congress in general, even less popular. Um, conservative commentators. Hey, that's you. Hey-o. Um, 45 percent say they would pick Trump. Um compared to 42% who say they're not sure and only 13% who say they would side with conservative commentators. So, but that is such a broad bucket. I mean, that means I'm like – me and Laura Ingram are living side by side in that bucket. Yeah,
1: it's such – And I don't think we're side by side in the minds of Trump voters. I, I, it is pretty funny though because that that's even like a category. You know, I mean, no offense. It's just kind of a funny thing like <laughs> – like, what about the pundits? You know, like,
0: would you trust the
1: pundits? God, I don't trust most of the pundits. <laughs> Who would you trust more, oh, the Lord. president or the pundits? I mean, you know, it should be the president, but as as opposed to the pundits. But you know, obviously, we're living in a different time here. But what they what they don't have on this list, though, are Democratic pollsters. How do you think Democratic oh, pollsters would fare?
0: Yeah, that's that's a that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff overlapping in that Venn
1: diagram mm. that I don't think puts you in a good place what about Tacoma Park moms who would you trust more Donald <laughs> well, Trump or Tacoma Park moms
0: so this th- that sort of sets the scene for where things are as we head into inauguration Friday um, before we move on to our very last story we have another sponsor to talk to you about for this show uh, this episode is also brought to you by Mac Weldon Mac Weldon is a men's apparel company. Uh, That Margie and I had I had not particularly heard of before they approached us, um, but my husband was uh, was aware of them, Um, and so as a men's apparel company, Margie and I ourselves did not have a great deal of information uh, from which to go, but they very kindly sent. Uh, they basically described their uh, ideal customer and essentially were describing our husband's. Yes. Which like, was funny. Which
1: was pretty funny. So yes.
0: yeah. in My husband is making out better from this deal than I am. He got some like credit. He got to go on and like order a couple things that he thought would be fun. Um, he's the most excited about this thing that he ordered called the Vesper polo. So oh, I
1: think that's what. Joel's ordered as well. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so there's only one polo. An
0: awful lot of my uh, life choices are dictated by middle to upper middle brow pop culture. Mm-hmm. So uh, for instance, like I would like to go visit Croatia because that's where King's Landing is in Game of Thrones, like that kind of stuff. Like I'm not highbrow enough to be like, oh, there's the great history there. I'm like, no, that's, that's King's Landing. That's That'd be fair. really cool. So in that sense, um, back uh, many years ago when Casino Royale came out, there's a scene <clears> – <throat> Where Daniel Craig is walking through the ocean club in the Bahamas and he's got this outfit on where he's got this dark polo, and it's just like a really good, like sleek, like upscale vacation, casual yes. look. And my husband has been like obsessed with trying to recreate that look. Like since he saw that movie. He's like, That's I want to be on a vacation in a fancy tropical place wearing that outfit. Right. And he's been looking for those sunglasses and that shirt forever. And when he was looking through the Mac Weldon website, he found this polo and he was like, That's the shirt. I mean, That's it's not good. the exact shirt, but it looks very similar. And it's called the Vesper Polo, which Vesper is the name of Bond's girlfriend right, in the movie. Right, right. So I am assuming that the Mack Weldon folks also piece that together. And like we're talking about very freakishly exactly micro targeting. I mean, it's funny because I, for a
1: long time, was looking for the dress that the the Bahamas woman not the main girlfriend but the Bahamas Oh like the, woman. Like the silk Yeah yeah so that's not sold by Mack Weldon. that's <laughs> you're going to have to go someplace else for that but, but so anyway
0: I, I can say he Chris was very excited about his shirt and you said Jules is going to get his stuff Yeah soon, I, so I he-
1: ordered it for Jules and I don't order Jules does his own clothing shopping because I just have I have to do it myself my kids and my dad, and that's plenty for me, and he can buy his own shirts but so but this we i we did together, so I had to like measure him, which is always entertaining for the kids whenever you have to take out the tape measure for anything that's like a really good day for <laughs> in our house that's like top ten, like with mom's tools we like to play with, so that was particularly fun um but we ordered the same exact shirt, and now I realize that at this sense it's going to really demonstrate my liberal bona fides but we lost both of we both lost our hoodies when we were in Mexico and <laughs> over our, our post election detox. <laughs> so I got a new hoodie. So we'll see. Plus some other things. So we'll see how it all turns out. All
0: right. Uh, so last but not least, uh, so you can get go to MacWeldon dot com oh, yeah. and
1: uh, check it out. Yeah, it looks good. It was easy shopping. All right. Last but not least, travel drama. So everybody likes to complain about traveling and other people when they travel and we talked about this last year, but because they released a new wave this year, this was Expedia using the GFK panel, which we've also talked about on the show. Um, so it's pretty representative. It's not like just a, you know, random online poll. Like they, this is legit and, um, the number one etiquette violator that they found out of all the potential things you could do while traveling is the rear seat kicker that was the one that people hate the most 60 horrible yes followed by inattentive parents those kind of go together at least for me as an inattentive parent with with the rear with some rear a little bit
0: of empathy there
1: yeah, with rear sit, ki- uh, rear sit kickers. Aromatic, okay, so that's if you're smelly. That's fair. Audio insensitive, that's if you, you know. Not li-
0: not using your headphones to listen to your device. Yeah, yeah exactly. That drives me a little crazy. Yeah.
1: The Boozer. Look, everybody's just got to hey. get through it. Yeah, I mean, everybody's got to. Know. know. Chatty Cathy, Q Jumper. Oh,
0: Q Jumper is the thing that will send me into a murderous rage. And now when this actually happens, this podcast is going to be used and admitted in court as evidence of proof that I'm an unstable and violent person. But I'm serious. Don't cut me in line. I have I've done. Cut me in line and I will cut
1: you. I mean, I've done pretty much all of these. I've done so many of these things. I mean. seat back guy. I have now done a,
0: I have flip-flopped on the seatback. Uh, can you take your seat back question? So this was a big thing. I remember Josh Barrow. I don't know if he was at New York Times or Business Insider, but it was a whole debate about if you are on an airplane seat. Well, after the plane takes off and you can recline your seat, should you? If you're not sleeping. If you're sleeping, okay, recline your seat. But if you're not sleeping, is it rude to recline your seat? And at first I was like, no, you pay for your seat. You're allowed to recline it. It reclines. It reclines. You're allowed to recline it. That is technically your airspace. I have now since flipped on that question. I I get – because it just makes it harder for people to get in and out of the row and it's not necessary. It doesn't actually make the seat that much more comfortable I don't think.
1: It is probably worse for the person behind you than it is for you, I think. But
0: uh, So it's making everybody's – it is decreasing the overall aggregate happiness on the plane. It's not like a zero-sum, like you're adding five units of happiness and you're taking five units of happiness from who's behind you. Like I think you're adding five units of happiness and you're taking 15 from the person behind
1: you. Here's the thing about this fight. This fight to me is like – it, it, it it's it kind of demonstrates sort of how I feel about like American culture sometimes like you know you you are in this bad you're all collectively in this bad situation and so everyone's being forced to t- everyone's turning on each other instead of actually saying you know what we don't have enough room here <laughs> these seats are really so we have such little leg space that you know an inch or two just makes everyone nuts like the the issue here is how people feel about airline flight, not like the person next to you is a jerk. Like So that is that is why I have some sympathy for the people who have to recline their seat. Like I don't think it's on them. They didn't design the seat. They're using the seat as it's been designed to be used. So anyway.
0: Armrest hog is next. Yeah. I believe that on the question of armrests, if you are in the middle seat, you the two armrests are yours. That's your turf. You have to deal with the crap if you're sitting in the middle seat. That sucks. Right. The people in the aisle, they get one armrest. The person at the window, they get one armrest. If you're in the middle, you should get both. Yes. And yet I always find and uh, back to our first question. Guys are the worst at this. Manspreading. Men, you're terrible. Yep. I hate sitting next to you on planes <laughs> because even if I'm this tiny little person in the middle seat and I just I don't even maybe need the whole armrest. It's this like invasion of my space, yeah. Where I'm like, I'm not even, a- I'm not invading your space. I'm not asking for a lot. I'm just asking for the airspace that I purchased. Yes, and you need to get back out of it. I get real angry about this. So yeah, it's when people don't get in a land war with me, don't violate my physical space, and don't cut me. In so mind. you're
1: okay with inattentive parents? So we can sit- we can continue to be friends. Then. Yeah, that's fine. I don't because. Whatever. There's not a whole lot you can do when you yep. have a one nope, and a half year fine. old on a plane. Let me tell you, on our last very long flight, Jewel because Becky just runs up and down the aisle, and I'm not inattentive. I follow him, but he just goes up to every person like, "Hi, hi, hi." hi. <laughs> that's so cute. It's cute, but some you know. But, I guess you might not always think you it's know, cute. not always. And the don't. Five years don't ago, all, I might not have thought it was. Stewardesses cute. don't always think that's cute, but you know, I just need. Some, I just need programming. I got nine hours of programming to fill. You know? I would
0: rather hi. Hi, hi! Then like,
1: right? Like the complete. Tortoises prefer, I'm being stabbed. Scream meltdown. and get out of their way because they're not standing by the you screaming the whole time. They're walking up and down doing stuff. So they're like. You know, I I would prefer that your kid be seated, screaming, and out of the aisle and not in the kitchen trying to open all the cabinets. just saying. (laughs) Or in the bathroom He's looking for avocados. There's got to be avocados in here. Right, exactly. I can find them. You know, throwing everything on the ground. I mean, he's got a lot of things he's got to check out. Anyway, so. People um, feel
0: positively about their fellow travelers, though. In this poll, they find that 79% think that for the most part, their fellow passengers are considerate of
1: one another. So that's good. That's good. 74% thoroughly clean their space before leaving the plague. Come on. No. Thoroughly clean their space? I mean, that's. I guess everyone thinks of thoroughly a little bit differently. Yeah. Okay. So key findings. What a wonderful time it is to be someone else. Happy Inauguration Week, everyone. <laughs> I know Obama leaves office with strong ratings, but with voters wanting to see Trump take everything in a different direction. Good luck sorting through that. It'll take strong political capital. Or maybe historically low favorable ratings, and in the meantime, I'm going to focus on improving what I can about myself, like being a more considerate traveler.
0: You can find us on Twitter at, at @thepolsters individually, we're at Margie O'Meara and at Case Soltis Anderson. Find us on Facebook, where we post links throughout the week to the stories we might be discussing in upcoming shows. You can also find us at www.thepolsters.com, where we have a link to all of the incredible polling resources that are out there that we think you might find interesting. Don't forget to tweet at us. Let us know what you're thinking. Write a review. We love hearing from you in your reviews. Yeah, we have been in a show. review since December. Yeah, share. And we know there are new listeners out there. We know not all of you have been longtime folks. Welcome to the club. If you like what you're hearing, tell the world. Tell a friend.
1: <laughs>
0: I really like, by the way, when folks out and about tell me that they like the show. Yeah. Which happens far more often for this show than any TV stuff. I was just at a coffee on my way over here talking to uh, talking to a, a colleague in conservative commentator space. Uh, and someone just randomly walked up to our table and was like, hey, the pollsters.
1: Keep that it up. So and walked awesome. away. And I was like, I feel so awesome right now. That is so awesome. Right? Because this is, you know, an audio show. So that's particularly cool. But, but- our faces are like – They're on the cover. Literally on mugs, yeah. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) We're not narcissists, we swear. Yeah, that's true. Fair point. (laughs) Okay, well, thanks. Thanks, everybody. Bye.
0: A Westwood One podcast production.